Welcome to another episode of Brew Roots. I'm Emily. And I'm Matt. And this is the podcast that tells you the stories behind your favorite beer. Each week we take a look behind the scenes at the craft beer industry. And now on to the episode. All right, I just have to forewarn a lot of you guys. Emily, myself, and Ryan have been enjoying some delicious... Burr. Beer tonight. <laughs> yeah, we got some dessert beers and... Tell them what we were drinking, Emily. Yeah, so we had a creme brulee milk stout tonight that was absolutely phenomenal. Ryan was not a super big fan. What did you think of it, Ryan? Shut up, Ryan. Yeah, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And we also had the Snickerdoodle Ale from Community Brewing out of Dallas, Texas, which is probably, I think it was in my top five of 2018. So I was super happy we got to have that again. Ryan, also, what were you? Did you? Did you enjoy that one or no? <laughs> oh man, he's all right. He's he's not a fan of the dessert beers, but Matt and I certainly are. We kind of have a sweet tooth. What are you like an IPA guy and a guy? Um, everything except for like dessert beers. Oh, all right, all right. Okay. Well, I, I gave you some pretty good beers. Yeah, shut, up, yeah, shut up, Ryan. <laughs> all right, so uh, Emily, how have you been? Been pretty good, you know. Busy ass week. Busy ass week for sure. But being busy is always good for me and for you. Yeah. Matt stays super busy. I feel like you're just always on. Yes, I am never. I don't sleep. Whatever. I get the sense that you don't. Yeah. Uh, but you know what else didn't sleep? Our loyal listeners who waited till twelve oh one to <laughs> listen to Brew Roots drop season three, and we had record numbers. Emily, Emily's still tabulating. Yeah, we had thousands of listens on that night shift interview, and we're super excited about it. We're so glad that you guys are staying on for season three because we've got some great interviews coming up. Matt and I are going to be doing a little bit more traveling for them, so hopefully you'll be seeing some more breweries from a little further outside of the Boston area. Yeah, and uh, if you haven't listened already, we did an interview with Night Shift Brewing. Uh, We featured Rob Burns. Uh, He's the president of Night Shift. He's also the president of the Mass Brewers Guild. We get into some pretty cool topics that uh, I was really a fan of. Yeah, and one thing that I just want to mention is we've been getting some great feedback on the sound quality of the episode, so huge shout-out to Ryan. Sorry for being mean to you. You are... So amazing. Ryan is our new sound engineer, and he is the reason why this podcast sounds so amazing right now. Yeah, and if you like what you hear and you maybe have a podcast or you have a band or if you just want to be recorded by Ryan, he has a website, and the link is in the description because I can't give it out right now. Ryan, (laughs) can you give it out? It's ryanblingsounddesign.com. That's B-L-A-N-E-Y. That's right, but the link will be in the description if you're not writing it down super quickly. It's long. <laughs> All right, Matt, how about we take a quick uh, dive into the past? All right. And now it's time for Today in Beer History. All right, so today in Beer History, January 18th, 2002, so we didn't go that far back in time, a Bristol University in England, you know, across the pond, if you will, Yes. They developed a hand computer watch, so wa- like a w- computer that goes into a watch, basically like an Apple watch back in the day, and its main purpose was to send a GPS location, like a vibration in the wrist, every time a pub opened, and as if you were getting closer, it would vibrate more. That's wild. Can does, you that, ab- does that exist today? 
Yes, it's called an iPhone <laughs> or an Android <laughs> phone. Yeah. Uh, so basically, when you were thirsty, owners of this device could activate a built-in global positioning device that provide the uh, closest pub. Can you tell me what year was this again? 2002. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love those early 2000s inventions. Yeah, that's like such a like, this wasn't even engineers. These were like technicians. Because those are like, those are like the, uh, you know, like the lowly folks, you know, they were just like, we're going to do this. Because we like want beer. It. We love beer. That's hilarious. Yeah. I was not expecting that from you, Greg Smith, PhD. Greg Smith throwing a little curveball in boy, there. giving us some early 2000s Good. knowledge. Yeah. Speaking of amazing technological advances matt tell me more tell me more we're living in an age where subscription services are becoming commonplace for the average consumer did you know that you can get brewery t-shirts delivered to your house on a subscription basis tell me more so shirtsontap.com offers a subscription package where you can get brewery t-shirts from breweries all over the nation from most of the major cities delivered to your house every month. And with the promo code BREWROOTS, you get your first box for $5. So all you have to do is sign up for a three-month subscription. First box is 5 bucks with that promo code. The next two boxes after that are 18 bucks. I think that's a pretty great deal. Emily, tell me where you can find that, because I need to sign up immediately. Once again, shirtsontap.com. Yeah, and I'm wearing that shirt right now. I love it. Just wanted to bombard you with some shameless advertising before I jump into my beer fact of the week. Introducing the Brewroot Beer Fact of the Week. So this week, I thought I'd give you guys a little bit of a treat. Normally, my beer facts are pretty short. It's like a fun fact. But this week, I want to tell you a little story. I feel like we're in like medieval times, like uh, like in this area we have like King Richard's Fair, and like that's like a Renaissance fair. I've mm-hmm. never gone, but like this so is what it feels like. In this story, we're going even further back than the Renaissance, so we're talking about Norse history, aka the Vikings. I'm going to tell you the story of Egier, the Norse ruler of the sea who brewed the best beer in all the nine worlds. Damn. One of the most important figures in Norse mythology was Egier. He was loved and feared as the commander of the sea, but he also earned great respect among the Germanic tribes as a brewer for the gods of Asgard. (laughs) Asgard. 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 His huge underwater feast hall was one place where the gods couldn't fight, which was normally one of their favorite things to do, as we've heard in many other factions of mythology. It's a a known fact. Gods love to fight. Gods love to fight, but they couldn't fight in Azir's hall or they'd be banished forever and that was a serious punishment since the place had drinking horns that magically refilled themselves with the best ale and mead in all the nine worlds wait what really (laughs) apparently yes so azir wasn't technically a god but he was a giant and he was a host who probably had the best relationships with the gods because of his beer being so good and unlimited. The entrance of this party place was said to be somewhere at the coast of the Isle of Hlaer, otherwise known as Denmark. 
But since it was built under the sea, no fire would burn inside Ejir's hall, so the light and warmth came from pure gold on the floor in the middle of the room. The place was decorated with coral and gems, as well as the wealth plundered of sunken ships while mermaids looked after the needs of the guests. And we all know what that means. Tell us that more. They were like concubines. Ooh. Okay. You can look this up and see like some really interesting images. paintings. Yeah. And images of these like beautiful women tending to the gods and things like that. Um, but also Ezir's daughters were involved in the beer brewing process. So Ezir himself was a skinny old man with long white hair, but apparently he was an amazing host and he was assisted by many servants and apparently his hospitality knew no limits. And literally, since empty plates and drinking horns were automatically refilled with the best stuff you could imagine, the wisest of all the gods, Odin had said that Ezir's beer was the best in all the nine worlds. The master of the sea made his homebrew together with his nine daughters in the biggest kettle ever made. The size of this kettle is not the same in all stories, but is usually said to be one mile deep and one mile wide. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, at minimum. This huge brewer vat came into Ezir's possession when the gods once sat down for a feast meal and the table stayed more or less empty. When they asked Ezir where the banquet was, he said he could not serve them food without beer and he had nothing to brew them. Then Thor, the god of thunder, went on a mission to steal this huge kettle from the giant, Hymir, and gave it to Ezir as a present. Since that moment, there has never been a shortage of ale in the famous subsea hall. You better watch out that Marvel doesn't like listen to this podcast and steal that story. I know. I wonder if they've trademarked that. They can't steal that. That's ancient history, literally. So I thought that was a fun beer fact, even though it's I don't think it counts as beer history because we don't know if it really happened. Yeah, we don't know. But uh, Thor, Asgard, that's amazing. Yeah, thought that was a lot of fun. Bring me to that place. All right, so Emily, what do we have on tap <laughs> this week? Besides the shirts? Besides the shirts. Yeah. This week, we're going to talk about the history of the Boston Beer Company, otherwise known as Sam Adams. Otherwise brewery, known as the, Angry Orchard or Twisted Tea, even. Yeah, they've given us some of our most loved and maybe, beverages of all time. And maybe a little bit controversial. Is it is it a craft beer or is it? A domestic at this point. Yeah. So we're not going to get into that topic a little bit. We're going to talk more about like the history of Sam Adams and uh, the Boston Beer Company. So Sam Adams, obviously we know, was a American Revolutionary War hero. So I'm going to give you this, the history of Sam Adams as the Revolutionary War history aspect of it first. So Sam Adams was a multi-generational brewer. Um, but he was a better politician. So the reason Sam Adams has his name is because the founder of Sam Adams Brewing was also a multi-generational brewer. So just keep that in mind when we talk, we're telling the story. Um, so that's why the name draws a parallel. So he was like the reincarnated Sam Adams. I Very interesting guy. Don't know about that, but <laughs> maybe. But uh, I'm sure he didn't see it that way. All right. So we all know that Jim Cook... Spelled K A K O C H. Uh, I think it's the, Coke. No, it's Cook. You looked it, it up. It is a hundred percent Coke. Wow, it is. 
Yes, uh, he was born May 27th, 1949 in Cincinnati, Ohio. So he was not even a Boston born and raised boy. We all fall in love with Boston um, when we come here. So... I guess that's Shut up, Brian. Yeah, Brian. <laughs> All right. So basically, Jim Cook's wicked smart. Yeah. So Jim Cook actually came to Boston to study his BA, his MBA, and his JD, all from Harvard University, and then went on to work for Boston Consulting Group. Yeah. So in between those, though, he stopped going to school because he felt that he hasn't done enough with his life, and he went and taught um, Outward Bound. And Outward Bound is kind of like a project adventure or outdoor activities where it's a lot of team building activities. And he attributes his time with Outward Bound actually to teaching him a lot more than Harvard Business ever taught him. Interesting. Yeah. And it turns out that he also tried to start a beer business while he was at BCG. So he originally developed a business plan for a locally focused beer company and invested $100,000 of his own money and raised additional funds from friends and family and other investors, including his former classmates and other people who worked at BCG. And most of his early investors didn't really take active roles except for one person. But it seems like this was something he really wanted to make into a business early in his career. Even when he told his own father, hey, dad, I want to go into the family business, his dad is on record saying, Jim, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. All right. So as we know, uh, Cook's plan was far from naive. He had carefully researched the market and believed that beer drinkers across the nation were ready for a good domestic beer. So in the early 1980s, the sales of imported beer were growing. He saw that European beers had a reputation for better quality than mass-marketed beers such as Coors and Miller. And uh, he was able to take that same sort of uh, business, business model that was adapted in Europe and translate it to America. So uh, while Michael, while microbrews often won big on taste, their, their makers rarely had the market know-how to get their beers on the shelves. So tell me about the first beer that they ever put out to the market. Yeah, so the first beer was the Boston Lager, which still is in existence today. And that was a 4.8 Vienna-style lager. Um, and actually, funny story, in the early 80s, Jim Cook himself would go from barroom to barroom selling his product. So he was very hands-on and grassroots from the beginning. So that's what kind of leads to the whole, is he the, you know, one of the founding fathers of craft beer? Yeah, I mean, they gained traction pretty early because in 1985, they start selling their first cases of Boston Lager. Mm -hmm. And one year later, the White House receives its first delivery of Samuel Adams. Yeah. Um, so Cook in this time claims he had sometimes he sometimes had to make 15 visits to a bar before he could even persuade a bar owner to carry his brand. So in one year, he was able to grow that 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 crazy. That's that's insane. Yeah, I mean, a lot of startup founders often talk about all of the no's that they had to go through mm -hmm. to eventually get to their first yes. Yep. And it takes a lot. Oh, yeah. We you know can't that. give up on the first no. Yeah, we know that firsthand. Yeah. Um, so like you said, 1986 was a huge year. That's when they actually really focused on advertising using slogans such as declare your independence from foreign beer, which is pretty like that's a pretty smart advertisement. Yeah, that's catchy. Yeah. Uh, so like we said... By 1992, sales grew to over 60% that year. And by 1994, Jim Cook's company was bringing $50 million in sales every year. And Sam Adams was the best-selling specialty beer in the United States. By 95, they went public. That is huge. 
Uh, so in 1995, Cook told Jerry Kermosh of Biz- Business Week that we could have had sold the company anytime he wanted and never worked again, but that did not appeal to him. What would I do if I sold? He asked. I'd go looking for a brewery to buy so I could launch my own brand. Even as his company grew to hundreds of employees, uh, Cook remained intimately connected with the brewing process. And he is still to this day, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff that they did along the way, too, in the 90s. So in 96, American Airlines selected the Boston Lager as its in-flight beer for first and business class passengers on their transcontinental flights. Later on, they would go on to buy a historic Cincinnati brewery. They signed a distribution agreement for Japan. This was all before the year 2000, so they're growing astronomically. Do you want to know a fun fact about that Cincinnati brewery? What's up? Family members of him worked in that brewery, so that is why he actually bought that Cincinnati Mm. brewery. I mean, he is from Cincinnati. Yep. So by the year 2002, uh, Jim Cook was able to finally distribute Sam Adams' first light beer. Um, And that was a big thing because often light beers are disdained for being kind of shitty. And I'm going to say that because I think they are. They they were advertised pretty heavily around that time Mm -hmm. as being the lighter choice. They were heavily endorsed by celebrities, especially athletes. So they were kind of offered to the market as this alternative for people who are more health conscious. So I think that they had to respond to that market pressure. Yep. So actually, by the introduction of the light beer in 2002, they saw um, their sales grow more than 10% in that year, which is really, really, really amazing. Uh, and you have to keep in mind, right, there was not as much competition back in 2002 for, for craft beer. So doing this and kind of still keeping your humble to your brand. Was yeah, keeping the integrity of your craft, too. Yep. Uh, so by 2004, uh, Jim Cook was in his 50s and celebrating 20 years as the head of Boston Beer and still not ready to retire. He brushed off the talk of selling the company and his share of the company is worth about $70 million. Hmm. Um, his goal now is to continue to introduce Sam Adams to younger beer drinkers who are often uh, bypass the brand for more exotic sounding microbrews. So we are seeing that today. Um, more and more people who are our age, you know, the... 21 to 30-year-old demographic aren't drinking Sam Adams, but they're making a push towards those. There's a New England-style IPA. Um, the Utopias is still a heavily sought-after rare beer to get. We talked about that in our Rarity episode. Yeah, I do try to turn people on to Sam Adams every once in a while because I think the Boston Lager is a great go-to. It's pretty much on tap at any bar that you go to, and you can find it in a bottle, which I love. Um, but... Yeah, overall, it deserves a little more attention from our age group. Now, from all accounts that we've read is that Jim still has a hand in a lot of the the production there. Uh, Send us a DM if that is not true, if you know, if you found out otherwise. But from all accounts that we've heard, he's still pretty hands on in in the brewing process. And if you guys haven't tried the Boston Lager yet, you should probably give it a try. I think that it's delicious and a lot of the time when I'm at a sort of divey bar, I'll usually go for a Boston lager in a bottle or Bud Light in a bottle. And the two are like not even close to the same thing. The Boston lager has a much more complex flavor, um, whereas the Bud Light might be a little bit more drinkable and light. But it kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for. But the Boston lager is pretty widely available, I'd say. Yeah. And, you know, for all the opportunities that Jim, Jim Cook has had to sell this company, and the money that he's probably turned down to 
sell Sam Adams. It seems like a pretty all right dude. Yeah, and they're on track to be almost a billion-dollar company at this point. I think it was as of 2017 that they were doing over $900 million in annual revenue. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Some things that I'd like to personally see from Sam Adams is um, how they're impacting lesser-known breweries. You know, are they helping out to the same extent that maybe a night shift is? Or uh, there's a lot of unknowns because they're such the big dog, and I hope that they're not forgetting their their craft roots. Mm-hmm. Are they mentoring people? Are they, you know, providing education, yeah. community? So, so while Sam Adams, I do believe deep down, is a large-scale domestic, at the root of it, they're large-scale domestic that has craft roots. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's impressive about them is just the integrity of the product. I think that's what they sought to do from the beginning was to imitate that European level of quality mm-hmm. without it being an import and yeah. competing with their counterparts who were sacrificing quality for the sake of quantity. Yeah. I think to go back to your point, Sam Adams is that beer that I will have more often than than not if it's one of the choices amongst the other domestics. Yeah, I see it at barbecues a lot. People usually will bring a case of Sam's and then they'll have like Rolling Rock and things like that. And I'll typically go for the Sam's. They also do some great seasonal brews that I'm always really impressed by. And I think it's just one of those domestics where you make the assumption that it's on par with your Millers, your Coors, your Buds, but it's really not. It's an entirely different flavor and it's very distinct and much more complex than you might expect. And Sam's is definitely recognizing that with what we talked about earlier, is that they're making a New England style IPA. They're making a 50 percent like alcohol beer at some point. You yeah, know, that's right. That crazy yeah, one. Yeah. So it's like they are they are trying to adapt and they're staying relevant. And maybe that is a smart business plan because they do see those microbrews. And you know what's funny about the whole Boston Beer Company is the fact that before we did the research for this episode, I originally thought that this company was as old as Budweiser, Miller, and those companies. I thought it was from like the late 1800s, turn of the century. I didn't realize that they were just from the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So Jim Cook, overall, not a bad dude. And we'd love to have him on the podcast. Hell yeah. If you're listening, Jim, because I know you are every single week. (laughs) We know you stalk us. We know you stalk us. So we know that we didn't get Jim Cook for our next week's guest, but we did get Chris Loring from Notch Brewing, and I love Notch, and I know Ryan likes Notch. I love Notch. They're right up your alley. Yeah, I mean, it's it's literally a three-minute drive for me where I live, so I go there all the time. Yeah. People talk it up to us a lot, and I have been a fan of Notch for a couple of years now, ever since I tried that pills that they do. Hell yeah. Fabulous. Just the The, pills that you can get regularly in a can? Yep, the green one. Super low alcohol content, very fun to just bring to a party and enjoy, and it's not heavy, so I can usually turn people onto a Pilsner by showing them the Notch one. So really excited to bring you guys that interview next week. Yeah, so until next week, I'm Matt. I'm Emily. And I'm Ryan. Shut up, Ryan. Yeah, Ryan, come on. You're not part of the outro yet. (laughs) And we'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Cheers.